This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Miketz, everybody. So let's look at the, pasuk, the Pesukim over here. Parak Mam Aleph, Pasuk Nun Aleph. This is after Yosef already translates the dreams for Paro, after he tells him that I'm going to be in charge, after he's called Sofnas Paneach. So he gets married to Osnas, and then he has kids. Vayiko Yosef is Shem of Achor Menashe. Yosef called the name of his firstborn Menashe. Kinoshani Elokim is called Amali Veskolbe Because he said, God has allowed me to forget my father's house and all of the toil that I went through. That's a weird thing to say. But God has allowed me to forget all of the bad things that happened to me back then. And the second one he called Ephraim. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has made me fruitful in the land of my, I guess, my poorness, in the land of my affliction. And it's also a little bit weird. I get that he was, you know, going through a lot when it came to the Shvatim itself. I would be surprised I would be surprised that in two psukim, one after the other, he calls it Amali Viskobi Savi, and then Be'eretz Ani regarding the land of Mitzrayim as well. Mitzrayim, he was in jail for 12 years. That's without a question, Eretz Ani. And Eretz Canaan, listen, he got into a, a fights with his brothers, and the Shvatim sold him, which is, I, I guess, yes, abnormal in many different ways. But it doesn't seem like it was the worst time of his life. He was still with Yaakovin, who was still a Gadolbi Yisrael, learning with the greatest person of all time to learn with. I can't imagine that that was so terrible, so terrible that was there. So the Ibn Ezra, first of all, says that if you'll notice, it doesn't say ki oma. He says, ki no shani elokim is ali. He didn't say that I said it out loud. So the Ibn Ezra, it means ki omar, that he told it out loud. Somebody would go up to him and say, why do you name him Menasha? Why do you name him Ephraim? He told them why he named them that way. But the, on the other hand, Meshach Chochma says the exact opposite. He did not say it out loud, and he couldn't say it out loud. Why? Because nobody in Egypt understood Hebrew. Nobody understood Lashon HaKodesh, including Paro. And if you all remember, he made a deal with Paro. He told Paro, I will never tell anyone else that I know Hebrew and you don't. Paro was supposed to know all the languages in the world, but he didn't know Hebrew, he didn't know Lashon HaKodesh. Said Yosef, I promise I won't tell anybody that I know Lashon HaKodesh and you don't. So here the Meshach Hachma says, therefore he couldn't tell people why he named them this way. Menashe and Ephraim were both Hebrew names that were based on the Lashon HaKodesh and Lashon of Hebrew. He couldn't say out loud why he had named them Menashe and Ephraim. So therefore that didn't make it into anywhere. That's why it doesn't say Ki Omar. He, we know why he named them those names. But when people asked him, he would just say, Menashe and Ephraim sound good. They sound good to me. They sound right. But he would not tell them why he'd actually said it. That's why it doesn't say Ki Omar. In Seder Oduros, there is an opinion that Ephraim and Menashe were twins. They were twins. I don't know, fraternal or identical. I have absolutely no idea. The Redak says, he points it out from the fact that the Pusik beforehand says the word Yulad. In other words, one birth. And then it says Shnei Banim. Two sons in one birth. Seemingly, that's referring to twins. Now, many Meforshim seem to argue with that because the names seem to represent different times in, in, in Yosef's life. The first one is forgetting his father's house. The second one is when everything was going really well in Mitzrayim. It seems that that wasn't the exact same time. It seems like it was different times. Regardless, right, this seems to have been a bit of a challenge according to those Meforshim. They were flourishing, that was happening, whatever it was. But according to Seder Adoros, they're twins. Menashe and Ephraim are 100% twins. Miam says, one of them was born in Ir, and the other was born in Sivan. Uh, in Shvat, I'm sorry, in Shvat. He doesn't say which one is which. He doesn't say if it was Menashe and Ir, and Ephraim and Shvat, or the vice versa. He doesn't say anything. You would assume that he holds that they're not twins. 
You don't know too many twins that are born that way, right? A couple months away from one another. It seems to be a little bit weird. That would be awesome. But I don't think that normally happens. The Ramban holds that it seems strange that there were no other children, that there are no other kids of Yosef. Why wouldn't Yosef have other children? Why wouldn't he have other kids there? So he answers that these were the children born before the famine. And then there were children that he had after the famine. He had not yet been fully Mekayim Puravu. Puravu is a boy and a girl, according to Beis Hillel. He wasn't yet Mekayim, but he had two boys. But after the, chil- after the famine, that's when he had other children. He had sons, he had daughters, etc. And they, all of them, all of those children that were born after the famine was over, their portions were added on to Ephraim and Menashe when they came there to Israel. That's what it says over there. Now the truth is, that's all over the place in Sefer Yoshua. In Sefer Yoshua, we mention over there that Menashe goes up to Yoshua and says, I don't want this to be it. Like our land is just not big enough. I want more land because we have a lot of numbers. It could be, says the Rishonim, that there were other children of Yosef and those other children of Yosef needed something else. They needed other people to be around. So I, I guess the idea is they need more land because of that. That's the way that the Ramban puts it. And it makes sense within what happens to Yoshua. It makes sense. They ask for more land. They add more people and that's that. But the Panem Yafostaf law finds it hard to believe. Why do we never have anywhere that mentions these other children of Yosef? Where do you ever see other sons of Yosef? Nowhere. There's nothing. Even in Divrei Yamim, which you'd think it goes through all the lineage. You'd go through somebody, one other child of Yosef, but there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing there. So the Panam Yafo says, maybe he had more girls. Maybe there were more girls that were born later, but no boys. There were no boys born, only girls born, and that's that. Truth is, I find it really hard to understand the whole thing. He had two boys born before the famine. How many years were there before the famine started, everyone? More than that, obviously. Right? How many years were there before the famine? What? Seven. Right? The seven years. So the seven cows, obviously, right? So he had seven years before the famine started. If there were seven years before the famine started, you mean to tell me he had two kids during that span of time? Now, it's not that that's impossible. Obviously, that could happen, right? But especially if there were twins, if that was it, then who says he was ever, ever able to have children again? Meaning, if he was only able to have two kids in a span of seven years, that makes it sound like to me that either he or his wife couldn't have children after that. Maybe there were no other children. Now, if you want to say there were girls born before the famine, and there were just girls born before the famine, then after the famine there might have been other people. Maybe, that, that's what you'd say. But if you say there were only two boys before the famine, which is what the Ramban says, I find it very hard to believe that there would be children born afterward. What would have changed? Why would that be different before the famine started? I understand why you couldn't have children during the famine. That's a machlokas. There's a tosis on that. I get that. But I, I just don't understand. I, I, it makes more sense to me to say that he had a bunch of boys, maybe a bunch of girls, two boys, and a bunch of girls before the famine. Then after the famine, he had children, boys, girls, whatever. That's what makes the most sense to me. I just, I, I, I'm not sure I fully understand that Ramban. And it's the Panam Yafos' question. I would have asked a bigger question, I think. Now, why would anyone be happy to forget their parents' names. Listen to that line. He's saying, Noshani Baruch Hu, thank you for allowing me to forget my father's house. 
Who would do that? I, again, we said it before. Just because bad things happen, this is what you're saying? You're going to say such a thing? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I, I thank you for getting my parents home? In simple shot, In shot without anything else. If I didn't have any Midrashim, if I had anything else, I would say, yeah, you went through a lot of travail, and he's happy that he now forgets it. He's finding a love for his brothers again. He's remembering the good times and forgetting about the bad times. Right? I get that. I guess that makes a lot of sense. But the Rashbam... Right? The Rashbam and Targum Unkulus and Targum Yonasan seem to say this is all about the past tense, which makes a little bit of sense, but the Sforno says Zinini Nasir. Something about the future. Let's try to understand this a little bit further. Miamloe says the Menasha was named for a very major event that happened in his life. It was terrible that he forgot his parents' house, but even worse that he forgot his learning because he was working in the palace the entire time. As you're working in the palace, there was no time to learn. He was doing this, he was doing that, running from one place to the other. He barely slept at night. Yosef was the doer. He wasn't a king in that sense that he was able to sit back, relax, and just eat grapes and bonbons while sitting on a couch. Yosef was a doer and a worker, which meant he literally had no time for himself. So he's mentioning, again, not that this is a good thing, but this was a major event in my life. Not only am I forgetting my father's house, I'm also forgetting my learning, my amo, my amelus betorah, the way the miyamo is saying. I'm forgetting amoli, that's kobe savi. I'm forgetting everything about it because of all the work that I'm in. So he's mentioning this is the idea of what it is. Nonetheless, hifrani alokim Hashem has given me good things here. So yes, it's been hard for me. I've been doing things that I never imagined I'd have to do, but it's still good. Hifrani alokim. HaKadosh Baruch has still done great things for me. That's how the Miam Lois puts it. And it's a major event, a huge event in his life. That's what he's naming his kid for. The Briskarov says this was the greatest tova in the world. It's the greatest tove in the world. Under, it's very, very under, un, underrated. Very, very underrated. The fact that we have the ability to forget. If I didn't have the ability to forget, I would dislike a lot of people. I think some of you might hold the same. There are people who might have wronged you in the past, said something about you, and I forget it. I forget about it. I am lucky to have a terrible memory, and I am extremely happy for it. That when somebody does something or says something to me or writes something to me, I am, I'm able to forget it. It's also why I delete most of my text messages after about three months. Because that way, even then, I can't look back and see what somebody might have written me a couple months ago. Like, I hate you, Rabbi. Okay, I don't remember because it's not there anymore. It's just not there. It's one bad thing that I don't like about WhatsApp, right? It's one of those things, right? And Gmail as well. It is hard to delete. It goes away. But you really want it, you could find it, right? But when it comes to this, I'm able to get rid of it and it's able to go. Forgetting something, says the Briskarov. He wasn't talking about WhatsApp. Briskarov, was, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Meaning... He's able to forget what his father and his love for his father. That's a tremendous bracha. Why is that a bracha? We see what happened to Yaakov. Yaakov could not forget Yosef. And Yaakov's whole life, he's sitting there thinking, Oy vey, what happened to my son? Oy vey, what happened to my son? 22 years, he's suffering horribly for the fact that his son was gone. And he couldn't handle it. He couldn't deal with it. And he's going around and crying and in Avelis for 22 years. The biggest bracha that people have when they're in Avelis is that after 12 months, it gets less. It gets less. After a few months, things go down a little bit. If you had constantly on your head the memory of the people that have passed away, the people that have left your life, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Yosef at Tzaddik 
had an even greater love for his father than his father had for him. There's something called Giagui Banavalav. The Gemara even mentions that there's something that a child has where a child wants to remember his father. It's dangerous. The Gemara calls it a Sakana in Shabbos if you take it away from him. He has to carry it around his neck at all times almost as like an amulet to remember who his father is. It's a crazy thing. A father loves a child. There is a love that a child has for a father that is beyond anything else, right? Right. So there is something that's there that's even more so. And if a person has that, it's scary if, it, if, if a person can't forget it. If Yosef Atzadik continued to think about his dad, he would feel horrible. He's sitting in jail for 12 years, languishing in a pit, in a lime pit for 12 years with the worst criminals of Egypt, sitting down there with the worst people eating gruel and who knows what they were serving him down there, hanging out with the rats and everything else out there. It was obviously a horrible, horrible life. If his mindset was, I need my father, I wish I was with my dad, I wish I had my father with me, that would have been horrible for him. He wouldn't be able to survive. You wouldn't be able to survive a year, let alone 12 years. There's no way. Without seeing and without knowing what's going on and sitting in a jail, there's no way. There's no way. The biggest bracha that Yosef had is that he forgot father. He forgot what his father was like. He forgot what was going on in his father's house. He was able to forget it. That gave him a bracha of not satisfaction in his life. He was still upset. But he's, he was able to deal with himself. He was able to sigh and sleep at night, which his father wasn't able to do. That was the bracha that he was saying over here. Yes, he had to thank HaKadosh Baruch for all the good things that were happening in Mitzrayim as well. But forgetting his father kept him from being depressed, kept him from being despondent, kept him from being a person that obviously would be horrible to be around if that wouldn't have happened. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky continues the idea. He says, Menasha is Be'etzem, a Jewish name. It really is a Jewish name because it comes from Nashani. It's, a, it's the idea of a connection to his father's house. I'm connected back to my father. I might forget things. I might not remember what my father was like. I might not remember everything that's going on, but I'm connected to my father. Ephraim was named for Hashem making me fruitful in my new land. This is like his brand new life. Ephraim was not a Jewish name, according to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Now, I want you to think about this. It's really an unbelievable line. The names that we have in the Torah for Egyptians are all the same. They have a pei, a resh, and an ayin. Now, think about it. Paro, obviously. Potiphar. The name given to Yosef was Tsofnas Paneach. There's Shifra and Pua. Think about those names. They're so similar to one another. Each one of them has a pay, obviously, right? Each one of them have it. But here's the crazy thing. There's not one other Egyptian name in the Torah. Not one. There's nothing else that we see that refers to a person in Egypt. Now, yes, we have Zleika. Zleika, the wife of Potiphar. Zleika obviously doesn't fit that category, but that's from the Midrashan. We also have Rikayon. Rikayon was the original name of Paro before he was named Paro. And I get that. But again, he might have been Babylonian before he went down to Egypt. We also have Osnas. And I realize Osnas doesn't fit that category. Maybe this is where Chazal come from and they say, there's no way Osnas is Egyptian because that name doesn't fit all the other names. She must be Dina's daughter. Maybe that's where Chazal got it from. Because everybody looked at all the names. You look at all the Egyptian names and Osnas doesn't fit the bill. Osnas isn't like the others. Therefore, Ephraim, says Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, was a non-Jewish name. It was a non-Jewish name. I know what we think, Hifrani, the word Hifrani, and that's where it seems to come from. 
according to Rabbi Kokonetsky, but the Iker behind it, the connection behind it is that at first, Yosef was connected to his parents' house. At first, he still had a connection to his Jewish heritage, etc. And then when it came to Ephraim, he's already naming him a Jew, an English-American name. That's the difference. Isn't that an unbelievable line? It's like, yeah, your first son is named Shlomo, your second son is named Michael. Nothing wrong with Michael. Nothing wrong with it. Right? It's a great name. But that's the difference between the two. You're switching it around. And according to Rav Kogonetsky, that's what happened. Now look at this. It's unbelievable. Menashe was part of everything that Yosef was doing. Who was the translator between Yosef and the Shvatim? Menashe. At the tender age of seven, he already knew Lashon HaKadosh. Menashe didn't have that problem. Menashe was involved in everything that was happening. But Ephraim may have had a more Egyptian mindset. It could be that they were a little bit, di- that he was a little bit different. Maybe he was more in danger of becoming a natural citizen. Maybe that's why Yaakov learned with Ephraim and not Menashe. Menashe didn't need it. Ephraim needed it. Where Ephraim was coming from and who Ephraim was and what was going to be with him, it could be that Ephraim was more influenced by the people in Israel. Maybe that's what Yosef Atzadik saw when he named his son Ephraim. It's unbelievable, Yaakov Kamenetsky over here. But the acclamation that he went through was right over here. That idea of feeling like you're flourished in Egypt. The first one is about his father's house, even though it's a bad thing. The second one is about his flourishing in Egypt. Things are going great here. It's like naming your kid America. Right? Or USA. Naming your kids such a thing. Saying such a thing. Is he frani? It was there to say, it was as if he was there to say, Yaakovinu saw this and therefore learned with Ephraim. Again, this obviously connects with Yaakovinu switching his hands and putting his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Asha. Obviously, this is going to have an effect on his children without Ephraim's son being Yoshua. But that's for another time. That's a different part of Rabbi Yaakov, where Rabbi Yaakov goes into it in parts of Ayachi. The idea, though, that Ephraim is a non-Jewish name is a crazy idea. Crazy idea. That it's an Egyptian name. It's really Kulo-Egyptian. Now, I don't know Egyptian. I am sure that somebody out there knows Egyptian a lot better than I do. I don't know what the names are. Meaning if we wanted to take these, like Ramses does not translate well into this idea. I just think it's without a question, based on what the Torah is doing, when you see a connection like this, Paro, Shifra, Pua, Potiphar, Tzofnas, Paneach, etc., you see that connection, it seems that Ephraim is along those lines as well. No matter what it is in the, how we translate the Egyptian, etc., clearly the Torah is trying to connect something over here. I think that's the idea behind it. Now, and go with a couple other answers. Vidibar Tabum, it's a little safer, says one time a man walked into a restaurant. Uh, Israel, right? Walks in and he asked to see the Tudat Heksher. He wanted to see the Tudat to see what kind of a Heksher it was. Sometimes it's a little embarrassing to do that. I was, last, last, I was just in Eretz Yisrael and I went to, I went to, uh, I was sitting in my, I was starving. I hadn't eaten dinner that night. I hadn't eaten lunch either, I don't think. I think I had a chocolate or something, right? So I had to eat something for dinner. So I went out and all the rest, by the time I was going out, there was around 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And I went to go find, anybody in here know that Machni Yehuda is like the biggest party land of all time? You knew that. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. It's huge. Everything, it, like, it is massive. 12 o'clock at night, they are partying. And I was sitting there and I was like, yeah. But I didn't fit. I just did not fit the bill of all the other people there. But I went around, and it was embarrassing, looking around in each restaurant. And I did it to every restaurant. I went in, and I said, can I see your two-dead hechshire? Can I see your two-dead hechshire? And each one, okay, Rabbanut, Rabbanut this, Rabbanut that. And again, I don't know anything in Eretz I'm not the person to define what you can and what you can't eat in Eretz I was told by one of my rabbis what to eat. I don't even know if that works, whatever it is. You know, no hechshire needed whatsoever. That's what I was told. That what everybody else was told. 
Yeah, every, if it's Jewish, you're good. That's, that's what everybody's told, right? Either way, regardless, I went from one place to the other place to the other place. So a guy did this. He went up to a restaurant. I'm, I'm thinking, again, I'm picturing the story. I'm picturing that it's a falafel place, okay, or a shawarma place or something like that. He goes and he has to see the Tudat Heksher. And the guy who owned the store turned to a picture that's on the wall. There's a big rub that's up there. And he said, you see that man? That's my father. He said, see that man? That's my father. Do you think we need a Tudat Heksher in this restaurant? Wait, with a father like that? So the person went up to him and said, Habibi, Tishmaili, listen to me, okay? If your father owned this falafel stand, I wouldn't ask him for a two-dot heksher. But you own this falafel stand. I'm asking you for a two-dot heksher, okay? Now it makes sense, right? Because obviously it's right there. The idea is, is that he said, and it's a really good call, people look and they say, like, you may have heard this, especially in America, you hear like, ah, I remember my Zaidi. My Zaidi was a Yid. My Zaidi used to sit down, right, and he used to light the Menorah Licht and he used to stare at the Licht for seven hours straight and he would fall asleep staring at the Menorah Licht, right? That, 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 I, I get it, right? That's, that's what people think. They're like going into stuff like that and they go through. They say like, that was the, they, they remind themselves of the connection to the past. Yosef was saying, he called his son Menashe and thanking Hashem for allowing him to have a connection to God without needing his father without having his father being that guy for him. He didn't need his Zadie and his great Zadie and his father to be connected for him to be connected. He was connected on his own. This was a bracha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you for making me forget my father's house, means you allowed me to forge my own path. And the truth is, that's true by every one of the Avos. They're all called Avos, prototypes. Avrinu was special, Yitzhavinu was special, and Yaakovinu was special because they started their own. Even if there was no Avram, there would have been Yitzchak. Even if there was no Yitzchak, there would have been Yaakov. And Yosef was saying, Hashem, I, without Yaakov as my father, I would have done the same. I would have done the same. That's the idea of what it means. I forgot my father's house. I don't need my father's house to prove that I'm from. I'm from on my own. And that's a bracha. That is a bracha. Obviously, we're appreciative of everything our fathers did. But to find it on our own without our fathers being involved is a huge, huge thing as well. Tom Vidas says from the Abarbanel, Rav Yitzhak Dan Abarbanel, Dan Yitzhak Abarbanel, used to tell others the pain and yisurin the travails that the Jews of Spain and Portugal went through during his time. Obviously, the Barbanel was in Spain around the times of 1492, seeing what was going on during that time, was due to them feeling at home in Spain, feeling like they didn't have a home anywhere else and never wanting to leave. Said the Barbanel, he writes this, he says, if they, because they didn't want to leave, Hashem said, I've got to make you leave. And he had them kicked out. Of Spain. This is the Abarbanel speaking. The Abarbanel was the only one, apparently, who was allowed to remain who he was in Spain and Portugal, right at that time. We're talking about that once they got to the point where they no longer wanted a homeland in Eretz Yisrael, where it no longer became something like that, that's exactly when they were out. So Yosef said, it may be, I may be forgetting what it was like living in my father's house, but I know I'm connected to my father's house. I still want to be back in Eretz Canaan. He's remembering Eretz Canaan even though he's forgetting parts of it. Now, Shani Elohim, you're allowing me to forget part of it, but at Baruch I'm still connected. I'm not like those guys. I still want to be part of Eretz Canaan. I still want to be something like that. That's how the Abarbanel looks. So that's another idea that he brings down over here. The Malbim says, Sadiqim, remember everything they go through in life. They write it down. They have a little diary. They make sure that they know everything that goes through so that when things get better, you can remind yourself of the hardships you went through. It's like us eating matzah on Pesach. 
were eating slavery food when we were freed. Because we really sit there and think to ourselves, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you for everything you let, made us go through, and look at us now. Look at what everything happened to us right now. I know you've heard the story, I'm going to go through really quickly, with the shepherd who ended up becoming a viceroy to the king. This shepherd was out there, and the king went up to him and started asking him questions. The shepherd was a very, very wise man. So the king said, I need you to come and join me in my kingdom. You have to join me. So he stopped being a shepherd, and he started working for the king. And then he got, kept going up and up and up and up, and he kept raising himself level upon level until finally he was like the chief viceroy, and all the other people were jealous of him, right? So they all were jealous, and they figured they could accuse him of stealing some, some stuff from the treasury. So they accused him in front of the king. They, they, they said that they saw him going through his house, and uh, the, the, the king said, how do you know that he did? They said, he has a room that he doesn't let anybody into. We'll bet you that in that room, there's a bunch of stuff that he stole from the king. So the viceroy said, I don't want to open it up. They said, open it up. He said, all right, fine. He opens it up. And inside the door, you all heard this story before? You know this marshal? It's a good marshal. So he opens up the door. And inside the door, there's a shepherd's outfit and a staff, a little staff, and his flute. And he said, the king said, what's going on here? What's in this room? And he said... Every day, I want to remind myself of where I came from. So I go in here for a little bit. I put on my shepherd's cloak. I take my staff and I play my flute. And I remind myself that I was once a shepherd. And it keeps down my, my gaiva. Like now, I've got this huge ego. I'm the vice word of the king. I do everything that the king wants me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. So I need sometimes to remember who I once was. So I have this stuff to be able to remember who I once was. The concept is over here as well. Yosef Atzadik was saying, I'm forgetting what it was like being in my father's house, living the normal life of a regular human being, because now I'm the chief advisor to the king. Now I'm doing everything the king wants me to do. Now I'm the guy in charge. So I'm forgetting what it's like being a normal human being. That's why I need to remind myself. I named my child so that I constantly remind myself of what my life was like back then. It'll keep down my gaiva, knock down my ego, allow me to have a little bit of anivus. A tremendous line. Yosef Tzadik saying because of that. Elena Lushabach says, even our enemies do this. I will bet, I would put money on the table that nobody here knows this rokeach. I'll bet this. Hatsileni no miyadachim Save me from my brother from Esav, right? When Esav was fooled by Yaakov and lost the brachos, he had a child soon afterward. You know what he named that child? According to the rokeach, he named the child... Achi. Why? He wanted to remember for all time what his brother did to him that he stole his brachos. So he named his kid Achi, my brother. And every time he looked at Achi, he remembered Yaakov and he hated Yaakov. He didn't want to forget it. He didn't want to forget it. He wanted to have it in his mind at all times. I hate my brother. And he'd keep looking at his kid. Achi, oh, I hate my brother. Achi, come here. I hate my brother. Achi, go wash your hands. And every time he would beat up Achi, because I assume Esav beat up his kids, right? Every time he would beat him up, right, and throw him to the ground, he'd be like, I wish you were Yaakov. Achi grew up with a hatred for Yaakov Avinu. He hated him more than anything else. And Esav told him, if you ever find Yaakov, kill him. Kill him. That's what he told his son Achi. Says the Rokeach. Hatsileni no. Yaakov Avinu was saying, save me please. Miad Achi and Miad Esav. Save me from Achi and save me from Esau. Don't let me meet the guy, Achi, my nephew, because I know Achi will for sure kill me. And don't, make me, don't let me meet Esau either. Is that an unbelievable rokeach? Has anybody ever heard of that before? It's pretty great, right? I have never heard that before. But if our enemies do it, that means we have to do the same. If our enemies name our kids, name their kids based on this idea, then we have to do the same. We have to have a reminder. Again, it doesn't have to be a child, 
right? But it could be something, something to remind you of something that happened in the past to help you grow, to help you become even better. The Al-Sheikh adds another question. I know this is a question that everybody asks, and I really think it's important to be able to ask it. This is not a question that we should ignore. When something doesn't make any sense in the Parsha, you have to ask the question, why didn't Yaakov Vinu send any messages to his father Yaakov, uh, Yosef, I'm sorry. Why did Yosef not send any messages to his father Yaakov while he was in Mitzrayim? Now, I get it. When he's by Potiphar, when he's a slave, I get why he didn't want to say anything. But he's sitting in jail. His father is wealthy. Why wouldn't he send a letter to his father saying, Dad, bail me out? Wouldn't you do that? No matter what happened with the Shvatim, wouldn't you say, I'm in jail for 12 years, bail me out? What stopped him from doing it? Yeah, Ron. A pact. I would say, now you're 100% right, 100% right, because the pact was made and he had said that he was part of it in some way or a Kaddish Baruch was part of it in some way. Nonetheless, this is already, you're sitting in jail for one year, two years, three years. It's been a long time. You're not going to call the one person who could save you? He could get you out of jail in a second. I'm sorry? Similar of asking the butler, say, he asked the butler to do it. So you see, he's already seeing, maybe we can get my, I can get myself out of this. Why wouldn't he ask Yaakov to do it? That's the question of the Barbanel. And the answer is, I'm sorry, I said the Barbanel, the Alshech, Ramosha Alshech and Taurus Moshe. So he asked this question. The answer is just as obvious. He sees the Shekhinah is with him. He sees what happens in Potiphar's house. He sees what's happening in jail. He knows the Shekhinah is with him. Heck, guys, he even saw it when he was brought down to Mitzrayim. How do you know the Shekhinah was with him when he was brought down to Mitzrayim? The spices, right? There were spices in the Arab merchants when they were bringing them down. It didn't smell like animal fodder or animal poo, which it should have, because that's what they usually bring down. It smelled good. That made no sense. Everything that happened to Yosef was unbelievable. And he saw the Shekhinah was with him. He understood... He understood he's supposed to do everything on his own. Now, if things were really, really bad, and I'm not saying that sitting in jail for 12 years is, is good. I'm not saying that. But when he saw Siyat Edishmaya time after time after time again, when all the people that were in jail with him, again, the dredges of Egypt society, Egyptian society, when those horrible people could not touch him, couldn't come near him. And remember, he's a good-looking guy. He's a good-looking guy. When those Egyptians couldn't come anywhere near him, then he knew HaKadosh Baruch was with me. And he knew, I don't have to do anything, Hashem will help me. His one fault, maybe, maybe a fault, there's a moral discount on this that's amazing, but the one fault is that when the butler and the baker came up to him, he thought, this should be my hishtadlus. This is what I need to do. I should tell the butler to go do it. He's not going to write a letter to Yaakov. That's too much. Hashem's with me. I'll be taken care of. But the butler is here right in front of me. It's likely that Hashem wants me to ask the butler what to do. He was wrong. And he stayed in jail for two extra years because of it. But he, the idea makes a lot of sense, right? That he knew that HaKadosh Baruch was with him, but maybe this is the way that Hashem wants him to be saved. And maybe he was, in a way, the Maral Diskin says he was somewhat right of all that. But he understood there is a plan here, and that's it. And maybe that's what it refers to over here. When we say, Nashani Elohim, that HaKadosh Baruch made me forget, it's so to speak, I don't need my dad. There's a plan here. Hashkacha Pratis is with me. Hashem is with me this whole way through. I can forget my father and still survive and everything will be okay. Kifrani Elohim. Everything worked out well for me in Mitzrayim. It was good the way that it was. And that's the concept of what it means that he forgot his father. He didn't need his father to do well. He understood there's a plan here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go through it. 
somebody said, I'm going to give you an example of what happened today. I heard on the radio today, there's a player named Manny Machado. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. He's a player for the Baltimore Orioles. Tremendous baseball player, right? Young player. And it's weird that Baltimore might be trying to get rid of him. So I heard something on the radio, okay, that the Chicago White Sox are going to try to get him. Now, I will tell you right now, I am a big baseball fan. I am a huge baseball fan. I haven't seen a baseball game since the, well, I will tell you, since the 8th and ninth and 10th innings of the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. I didn't actually see the 10th inning because I told you that story before, right? I couldn't see it because I wanted the Cubs to win, and that's why I didn't watch it, and that's why they won. So I hold that 100%. It's 100% mine, right? I Theo doesn't know that yet, but, I am, but I'm a huge baseball fan. And when they told me that the Chicago White Sox were going to trade away their prospects to try to get this guy Machado for one year, I'm sitting there and I'm like, they have a plan. What are they thinking? It's like that guy, he was like walking around, he's like got this whole thing and he's like, I'm going to the market because I need to do whatever. And then he's like, ooh, a shiny penny. Like, what are you doing? You, you have a plan, just finish off the plan. Whatever you're trying to do, go with the plan. Don't just be distracted by the crazy thing that's over there and get distracted and say, oh, I'm going to go over here now. Just, you have to stay with it. Stay with where you are. Don't be reactive to everything that happens around you. It's like so obvious. And when I heard that, then I heard that one of the sports guys said it, and I was like, oh, no, I have the svara of a guy on the radio who tells sports for a living. I was like, I was, ter- I was terrified that my svara is that way, but I guess that's what happens when you're into sports. It's just automatic. You're going to start being like them, and you end up losing your real svara and ends up becoming something like that. But the concept is right here. I feel this is not from them. It's an al-shikh, and they just didn't know the al-shikh. And this is the concept. Go with your plan. Don't worry about anything else. Everything else will work itself out. That's the concept behind it. And Itziv says the exact same thing. Yosef never felt the need to write to his father or tell him where he was because he understood his dreams to be prophetic. His dreams are going to come true. He mamish believed them. He knew they were going to come true. And he said, like, do I have to do a little bit to make it happen? I have to do a little bit to make it happen. But it will happen. He didn't feel the need to go back to his family. He didn't feel the need to ask them anything. I can do this on my own. That's Kinoshani Elohim. I don't need it. I don't need it. I can do this on my own because of my dreams themselves. That's the concept behind it. Now, I don't think I have to do Taurus Chaim Yomuna, but the Taurus Chaim Yomuna goes into the how Amol is Amelus. He was forgetting how to work hard in Torah. That's a tremendous answer to the Taurus Chaim Yomuna. That's what it meant over here. Yosef was saying, Oy vey, how did I do it? So he said an answer that was similar to that before. On the other hand, there's a Torah Shlema that brings a Midrash that throughout his stay in Potiphar's house, his lips were moving. Did you ever see that Midrash before? Anybody know that? That means every time something was happening, his lips were moving. Why? He was chazering his learning Baalpeh. I don't know what that means. Obviously, there's no Gemara Mishnahis in the times of Yosef Atzadik. Whatever it was that Yaakov Yinu taught him, whatever he had learned in Yeshiva Shem the Aver and by his father's house and his grandfather's house, Avram Yitzchak, that's what Yosef Atzadik learned. He was a Ben Zikunim. Balaturim says he learned Zikunim, Zroyim Kajim Nashim Yeshuos, which is the name for Nizikin and Shabbos Daflamad and Mabez for uh, Nizikin, and Moed. He couldn't learn Taras. The Imre Emes says, because Taras you have to learn on your own. But he learned Zikunim. He learned those things with the sons. Whatever it was that he learned, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever he learned with his son, that's what he was going through in Potiphar's house. But he stopped when he was in jail. He couldn't do it anymore. And that's what it means. Kineshani came again, the same idea that he wasn't able to cause everything he had anymore. Rav Schwab says something amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's only that you can hear it and you're just sitting there. We all know that there's Talmud Bavli and Talmud Yerushalmi. Right? We all know that. All of us have learned Talmud Bavli. But I would almost guarantee most of us have not done Talmud Yerushalmi. I've done some of Talmud Yerushalmi. It's very, very difficult. It's difficult. Like the word in, in Gemara Bavli. What does in mean in Bavli? Yes. It means yes or? 
Or no, ain is technically, it's really ain. There is no such thing as in. Like, it's not in hachanami, it's really ain hachanami, but we're not like that because we're not gastronics. So either way, so it's like, it's ain. It can mean yes or no. In Yerushalmi, ain can mean like 17 different things. It can mean if, it can mean when, it can mean because, it could be yes, it could be no. You have, it's difficult. Yerushalmi is difficult. It's like pure Aramaic, pure Aramaic. Not like Talmud Babli is like fake Aramaic. It's like going to a shir from somebody who's speaking Yiddish who really is a natural Israeli. He's not going to be speaking Yiddish. He's speaking Hebrew. And like a couple of Yiddish words are thrown inside there. It's just not the same. It's just not there. Rav Schwab says, Talmud Bavli is different from Talmud Yerushalmi in one very simple way. Talmud Bavli is all about the fight. It's all about the argument, the machlokas. How this guy says one thing and this person says the other thing. They're arguing with each other. There's one person, and there's really, it's all about the argument. Because everything grows from the argument. Rabbi Yochanan, when he was, de- when Reish Lakish is already dead, they brought him Rabbi Elazar ben Padis to be his chavrusa. Rabbi Elazar ben Padis is chavru- his Talmud. And everything Rabbi Yochanan said, Rabbi Elazar ben Padis brought proofs, 24 proofs to everything Rabbi Yochanan said. Rabbi Yochanan looked at him and said, what, I need you to prove me right? I know I'm right. I know I'm saying good, said Rabbi Yochanan. I need you to show me why I'm wrong. Rish Lakish, I think the wording of the Gemara is Atke Bar Lakisha. Are you like Bar Lakish? Right? Bar Lakisha would bring me all these things and I would argue with them. And Mamela Rav Chatayra. Everything would spread out. But you, you're proving me? I know I'm right. I need somebody to tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Bavli is all about the argument while Yerushalmi. It's funny because Yerushalmi is written by the students of Rabbi Yochanan. But Yerushalmi is all about the shtimen. How everything can go together. Things can work out. There are machlokism in Yerushalmi, but it's not about the machlokis. That's why it's so much shorter. There's so much, it's so much shorter than the way the Babali goes because there's this and that and the other and there's sort of, you can see it where it's divri elokim chaim, elu elu divri elokim chaim and it goes in that way. It's so funny. Reb Zera, when he came to Eretz for the very first time, it's in that Gemara and Bab Metziah and Pehei, when Reb Zera came to Eretz for the very first time, he fasted a hundred days to forget his Torah that he had learned in Bubble. Came there at Stroll, he wanted to forget the Torah that he learned in Bubble. He no longer wanted a Torah where it was about the Machlokis, about Rav Clement. He wanted to learn a Torah where everything stemmed together. He wanted to be able to switch his style of learning from the style of Babylonian Talmud to the style of the Yerushalmi Talmud. To switch it in such a way because it was difficult. Yosef Atzadik was in the fights with all of his brothers, right? With all the Shvatim. They may have been living in Eretz Yisrael, but they acted like Talmud Bavli. Yosef Asadi could not understand what the Shvatim were doing when it came to Arise, when it came to Avram and Achai, when it came to the Bnei Shvachos. Couldn't understand it. And when they tried explaining it to him, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. And when the Shvatim tried saying, you're Chayiv Misa for what you're doing, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. They were arguing with each other and they couldn't hear each other's sides. The Shvatim kept thinking this way. Yosef Asadi kept thinking that way. They were living a life of Talmud Bavli. That's what they were living. It was a life of Talmud Bavli. Yosef Asadi, when he came to Mitzrayim for the first time, Thanked Hashem, Noshani Elokimus Kolamali. I forgot what it's like to learn Talmud Babli. You know what that means? I finally see what my brothers are talking about. I finally understand what the Shvatim were saying. I didn't understand it before. Before I was like this Babylonian. Now I get it. I get where they're coming from. I understand what they're saying. I get what they mean. He was going into a Yerushalmi type line. His life, his mind was different. And he thanked Hashem like Reb Zera, fasted a hundred days to forget his learning in that fashion. Yosef Atzadik celebrated that he forgot how to learn in that fashion. Celebrated his new style of understanding where other people are coming from and being okay that other people are going to say this way while I say that way. That's what he ended up doing. Is that an unbelievable Rav Schwab? And that tells us, listen, we learn Talmud Babli because that's where halacha comes from. Halacha comes from arguing. 
But we have to be, and the way that Talmud Yacham should be, should be nochen zelazav. Yeah, we argue with each other when we're learning. When we get out, we, we like each other again. We, we're all okay with it. Everything's all good. Anything I might have said about you being an idiot and a fool, and not understanding anything and being so stupid, that was what we were learning. Afterward, it's like, you're my best friend. Let's go. We can hang out together. That concept is there, what it's like having you show me versus the Bavli itself. Now, obviously, guys, I have a bunch over here, right, from everything else over here. I'm going to end with the Ayelas HaShachar. The reason why the Ayelas HaShachar is because Rav Arnleib Shkaiman, of course, passed away earlier this week. Rav Arnleib Shkaiman Zatzal passed away earlier this week. I'm going to end with something that he says right over here. He says... He goes into this entire thing of the Dasa Kanim. Dasa Kanim says there's an entirely different reason for Ephraim's name. It wasn't because of Ephraim Elohim. Ephraim is named for his grandfather and his great grandfather, for Yitzchak and Avram. Avram Avinu said, Anochi Afar Ve'efer. I am dirt and ashes. Yitzchak Avinu was ashes on the Mizbeach. He's supposed to be ashes on the Mizbeach by being the Akedo. So Ephraim, Aleph Peresh, Yudmem, is Eferim, says the Dasa Kanim. It's dust times two. It's plural dust. It's the Afer of Yitzchak and the Afer of Avraham. That's why Ephraim was that. So Ephraim was named for his grandfather and his great-grandfather. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I'm sorry, no, no. Afer is dirt, but he called it Afer because, again, he was ashes on the Mizbeach. And Avraham said, Anochi Afer va Afer. I was both. So the Afer is Ephraim times two. Now, that's not in the Pesach, a weird Dazakanim, right? Isn't that a weird Dasakanim? The Pusik says why he's named Ephraim. He can't say it's because of the ashes. So he says that. What's the Pshat? Yalas Ashachar, Rav Shaiman Zetzel, explains this by saying Yosef had just been in jail for 12 years and was saved by a miracle. What well, Paro called him up and all of a sudden had to translate dreams and everything like that. He was then told, You're going to lead the economy. You're going to be in command. You're second in command to Paro. He knew that the challenges in his past had been difficult, right? But he also knew this is not going to be an easy test for him either. The way he was in the past, it's not, he's got a different challenge right now. Being in such a position could make you forget who you are. Remember what we said about that? You have to remember who you are at all times. Thus, the idea behind the Dazakanim is what we said before. Calling his son Ephraim is to remind himself to have no gaiva, to knock himself down, to be humble like the Afer of Avram and the Afer of Yitzchak. He called himself this on purpose, that he should not have any gaiva and be willing to be Moser Nefesh or whatever they need. That's the concept of Ephraim, and that's why he called him Ephraim. Roshanin says that's the pshat. That's the idea of what he wanted to do over here. Maybe, maybe, maybe the overall goal of serving Hashem made him name his son Ephraim for the other reasons as well, but this is the main idea of being Afer and Afer together. We'll stop with this, guys. Have a great Shabbos.